Zach Bowen and Hattie Hall were two broken people who found love and support in each other. Unfortunately, their problems ran too deep for the other to fix. Their best moments in life were spent together in New Orleans in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. No jobs, no bills, no expectations. They thrived until the world was rebuilt. And sadly, their relationship ended in a particularly gruesome fashion. Killing. Missing. Hidden. A podcast about Welcome, welcome, welcome to another special edition of Killing, Missing, Hidden. What makes this special? It's recycled. Does that make it special? Am I, am I being green by doing this? This is a former Patreon episode that I'm using as a stopgap for this week's episode. If you were a Patreon and heard this already, I apologize. But we're going to have to forge ahead with this because I ain't got nothing else. Uh, shout out to listener and former patron Misty for drawing my attention to this case. This one is kind of rough, so be warned. Um, I, I, I can't really give you a proper foreshadowing type of warning. Just know it's gruesome, okay? Alright, so enough about this mess. We're just going to get into it and see what horrible things we can learn. Zach Bowen, Addie Hall, happy little couple living in New Orleans. Or that's how it seemed to outsiders. But inside their apartment was kind of a festering darkness. But we're going to start with some of the sunshine before we get into that mess. So let's talk about Zach first. Zach was generally considered to be a good guy by most people who knew him. When he turned 18, he married a 28-year-old exotic dancer and they had some kids together. And, you know, Zach said, look, you don't need to live this lifestyle anymore. I'm going to support us. And he figured the best way to support his family was to join the U.S. Army. And, you know, from the outside looking in, Zach seemed to have a successful military career. He quickly rose to the rank of sergeant. He served in Kosovo and Iraq and enjoyed his time in the Army until he had one experience that really affected him deeply. Arguably, you could say it kind of mentally broke him. He had made friends with an Iraqi girl whose family owned a shop near where he was stationed. And unfortunately, because the child was seen in public being friendly with American forces, her family's shop was targeted by suicide bombers, and the child, along with the rest of her family, was killed in an explosion. And, you know, Zach's army buddy said, like, after that day, he just never was the same. He was really just counting down the days until his deployment ended and he could be discharged and returned home. So when that time came, he was discharged, though he received only a general discharge, not an honorable discharge. I'm not an army dude. I'm not a military guy. So I don't know a ton about this stuff, but. From looking into it, a general discharge basically means this soldier did his job and did it satisfactory. And that's kind of it. From 
from what I understand, the officer authorizing the general discharge has to explain to the soldier in writing why he or she is not receiving an honorable discharge. And that's kind of a big deal because, you know, like for Zach, that decision to not be honorably discharged meant he couldn't qualify for the GI Bill, so he could never go to college on the government's dime. And a lot of folks who knew Zach and knew his situation kind of found that decision unusual because, like I said, his career was successful. He rose in rank pretty quickly. He received uh, a NATO medal, the presidential unit citation, and his commanding officer recommended that Zach be honorably discharged. Um, Again, totally outside my area of expertise. I don't know what would cause the officer in charge of making this decision to disagree with his uh, his commanding officer. But that experience left Zach very, very bitter. He felt, you know, he felt like he left the army with a medal, a citation, PTSD, depression, and just an overall bad taste in his mouth. So he moved, his move to New Orleans was really based on finding himself. He was originally from Los Angeles, but he went there to kind of restart life, met this, uh, the woman he married, joined the army, and then came back to New Orleans. And at that point, he was like, he was doing his thing. It was Zach about Zach. He got a job as a bartender and kind of told his wife that this ain't going to work. You know, she, um, she wanted you know, she was fine with the divorce, but she wanted Zach to stay in her life just to kind of co-parent the kids. And Zach wanted nothing to do with it. You know, he, he in his defense, to the extent you can say that, you know, he was tall, he was handsome, charming, and young. And, you know, he married pretty young to an older woman. Um, I mean, relative to him, an older woman. 28 is not old by any stretch of the imagination, but... You know, that's 10 years difference. He's not ready to settle down. It, it was a rash decision. The army obviously affected him greatly men- mentally. So he thought, you know, low stress job where he could have fun. He could flirt. He could go out drinking. All that stuff was kind of more his tune. Now, while he was bartending, he kind of caught the eye of one of his coworkers, a girl named Addie Hall. She was kind of the definition of free spirited. You know, she wrote poetry, she taught dance classes, she was artistic, she was a seamstress, and she too was a transplant. She originally came from Pennsylvania, I believe, down to New Orleans. And, you know, she had her own baggage as well, as I alluded to. She had been sexually abused as a child and as an adult went through some really bad relationships. Friends say that she admitted to having bipolar disorder as well as PTSD from the abuse she had suffered. There's some articles that claim it was never formally diagnosed. She apparently had some medication for it, but she wasn't real good about taking it regularly. And that caused more problems in her life than she needed to deal with. But one thing she had decided on in her path to recovery was... I'm not being in an abusive relationship anymore. I deserve better, and I'm only going to be with men that treat me right. 
Now, again, Zach and Addie met each other and they were kind of flirtatious and they would hang out and all that. But it really wasn't until Hurricane Katrina came in August of 2005 that they became a couple. And when they became a couple, it's like they were mortared together like two bricks. They just stuck together. With the hurricane blowing through, Zach rode out the devastating storm at Addie's apartment. And, you know, afterwards, they oddly thrived in this almost post-apocalyptic world that was New Orleans. You know, there's no power. There's no water. Obviously, there's no air conditioning. There's They're very limited on supplies. But they enjoyed it. They really had fun with it. And they kind of treated it like an extended camping trip. Addie kind of became famous among law enforcement because she, whenever a patrol car would come by, she'd show them her breasts. Now, that seems like it would be done just for the thrill, but really the thinking behind it was kind of smart. She did it to ensure that police would come by regularly so that they had some degree of security and safety. And the pair became kind of minor celebrities in the French Quarter. They would set up these random makeshift bars and serve folks free alcoholic drinks in exchange for food or water or even just information about what was going on. They actually got featured in the New York Times for their kind of playful attitude in the middle of this terrible disaster. That article, sadly, is locked behind a paywall, so I couldn't read it. But I think that's what it said. We're going to believe that's what it said. Both Zach and Addie with their mental issues, they kind of self-medicated through alcohol, and they were very heavy drinkers. And friends said that Addie, in particular, was one mean drunk. Not that Zach was an angel, because he would go on these rants about how the government screwed him. But Addie, she just turned into a thug, almost. When, you know, as... The city was rebuilt, and they had to go back to this routine of paying bills and showing up for work at certain hours and all that mess. They kind of graduated from alcohol to drugs, um, and not the softer drugs. They went for hard drugs, you know, like cocaine. And the cocaine didn't really have a positive effect on their relationship. Uh, some would say it was strained. Some would say that they had explosive fights constantly. Behind closed doors, Addie was just convinced that Zach was cheating on her. And like I said, she was a mean <laughs> drunk. When she believed that Zach had done something wrong, she came after him with fists swinging. And this really seemed to affect Zach. I think he took it more personally than it was meant to be it would cause him to go in kind of this downward depression spiral. And they also kind of run into some troubles with the law. Zach got pinched for possessing marijuana. Addie was arrested for pulling a gun on a dude during an argument. Uh, because of that little event, the pair were evicted from Addie's apartment, and they had to find a new one. So they found this small apartment above a voodoo spiritual temple. They, you know, this is New Orleans, so kind of everything is voodoo-related. Like manhole covers and parking meters somehow are voodoo-related. 
But even with all these problems, there was at least this outward appearance of love. I mean, they were inseparable, like I said. They were all about the public displays of affection. Folks just thought they kind of had this unhealthy relationship. And that was until October of 2006 when everyone learned exactly how unhealthy their relationship was. So on October 17th of 2006, around 8.30 p.m., New Orleans police received a call from the Omni Royal Orleans Hotel. A man had jumped from the hotel and landed on the roof of its parking deck. When police managed to make their way to the top of the parking deck, it was clear the man had died on impact. It was kind of a grisly scene. He was pretty mangled. Police didn't know if they were looking for looking at a suicide, uh, an accident, or even a homicide. Of course, they begin their investigation with the body, and they notice that in the dude's back pocket, there was a folded sheet of paper sticking out. A detective pulled out the paper and discovered it was actually a five-page note. And in part, it read, quote, This is not accidental. I had to take my own life to pay for the one I took. If you send a patrol to 826 North Rampart, you will find the dismembered corpse of my girlfriend, Addie, in the oven, on the stove, and in the fridge, along with full documentation on both of us and a fully signed confession from myself. And this note was signed just as that. Of course, police were horrified when they read this, as any normal person would be. They instantly dispatched a force to go to the apartment. And when they arrived there, those officers learned that Zach's note was not an exaggeration. All right, again, this part's gruesome, which is why I gave the warning at the beginning. I think you know what's coming, but still. When the cops entered the apartment, they were first struck by, let's call it the decor. Zach had spray-painted rants all over the wall. Uh, for example, one read, quote, please call my wife. I love her. I'm a total failure. Look in the oven. Please help me stop the pain. Police, when police went to the kitchen, it kind of looked like somebody had been preparing a feast. There were two pots on the stovetop. One contained Addie's hands and feet, which had been boiled in water. The other was her head, which had been roasted to the point of being unidentifiable. Eddie's arms and legs sat on an oven tray that had been thoroughly cooked and seasoned. Potatoes and carrots had been prepared and were sitting in a bowl next to this terrible scene. Eddie's torso was wrapped in plastic and stored in the refrigerator uncooked. Despite Zach being given the nickname of the Katrina Cannibal, his autopsy did not reveal any cannibalistic activity, and Addie's limbs were deeply charred, but there is no evidence that a human had bitten into them. You'll see lots of rumors and reports to the contrary, but I feel comfortable saying from the articles I read that police didn't find any evidence to support the claims that Zach had eaten Addie. 
So in addition to that suicide note Zach had in his back pocket, there was more information left in the apartment concerning the couple's final days. It was in one of Addie's journals that was left in the kitchen, but it was in Zach's handwriting. Disturbingly, he described his work with Addie as half done. He said he strangled her to death at 1 a.m. on October 5th, so about a week before he killed himself. Well, almost two weeks ago, I guess. He claimed he did it calmly and that it happened very quickly. He then had sex with her dead body multiple times before passing out next to her. When he awoke, he dissected her corpse with a hacksaw and some knives in the bathtub. Then he meticulously cleaned the bathtub. Apparently, he cleaned it so well that when police initially went through there, they didn't see any evidence of the crime occurring in the bathroom. At this point, Zach kind of got stuck. He didn't know what to do. He felt lost. He decided that he needed to turn the air conditioner on as low as it would go so that the body wouldn't decompose too quickly. Apparently, when the police arrived, the thermostat was set on 60 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 15 degrees Celsius. He then spent four days just kind of living life as normal. His friends didn't notice anything off about Zach other than he acted like he was unusually happy. Indeed, in his suicide note, Zach claimed that he had withdrawn all of his money so that he could spend the last few days of his life enjoying good food, good drugs, and of course, good strippers. His notes in the apartment also expressed extreme concern for himself, released portions of what was found, state, quote, I scared myself not by the action of calmly strangling the woman I've loved for over one and a half years, and then desecrating her body, but by my entire lack of remorse. I've known forever how horrible a person I am. Ask anyone. Now, Zach's confession doesn't appear to be just talk or some way to gain sympathy after the fact. When police examined his body, or I guess medical examiners looked at his body, he had cigarette burns that he had done himself essentially there was 28 on his body one for each year of his life one for each year he considered himself a failure and you know in the note it talked about how he was a failure in school he was a failure in the military he was a failure at marriage he was a failure at parenthood he was a failure morris more with his morals we'll use that word and he was just a failure at love in general. Police later learned from the landlord that the two had been fighting on October 4th, only three days after moving into their new apartment, because Addie caught Zach messing around with another girl. I don't know it to, to what degree, whether it was sex, whether it was just, you know, some heavy kissing. Um... But Addie insisted that Zach's name needed to be removed from the lease. The landlord said, y'all need to work this out by yourselves. You've already signed the lease. I'm not going to change it. It's up to y'all. Now, I, again, no one can confirm that Zach was actually cheating. But at his job as a bartender, he was known as the affectionate flirtatious one. And he would do that with 
female customers, female coworkers, and a lot of times he would do this crap right in front of Addie. Um, it, to the degree that several coworkers opined that Zach enjoyed taunting Addie, essentially sending out this message that I can get another woman whenever I want, so you better be careful, baby. Security cameras on the hotel actually captured Zach's death. It showed him approaching the terrace on the roof several times, looking over the edge, and then backing away. His final, final moments on tape show him quickly downing his final drink and then just instantly throwing himself over the rail to his death. Now, Zach obviously was a sick, sick man. I don't know how else to describe him. He was wrapped in this, I guess, inescapable straitjacket of depression and despair. And he was so far gone, he seemed almost delusional. And, you know, his relationship with Addie did not help. She was the sweetest little blonde girl when she was sober. But she wasn't sober that often. And like we discussed, she had a mean, mean streak in her. I mean, she pulled a gun on a man during an argument. She was not afraid to throw hands when she felt it was justified. And if she felt like Zach was making out with other women, I have no doubt that Addie was pretty ticked off at him more often than not. For what it's worth, and I don't know why this is just strange, but when you're not mentally healthy, you do weird things sometimes. The last night that Addie worked before her murder, Zach showed up, even though he wasn't scheduled to work. He showed up to surprise her with a dozen roses. So they didn't hate each other. They loved each other. It just wasn't a healthy relationship. And, you know, while I personally believe that this can easily be attributed to mental health demons... Many people in New Orleans want to blame this on actual demons. While Zach was very sick during the relationship, he was never known to be abusive. Again, when she would get angry at him, he would kind of withdraw and spiral downwards into depression. Yet, according to those who advocate for the evil theory, within four days of moving into this apartment located above some sort of voodoo temple, he brutally murders his girlfriend and cooks her body? I mean, did evil spirits infect this mentally weakened boy and drive him to commit these horrific acts? Well, I'm going to vote no on this theory. The, the evidence of mental illness seems just too overwhelming. Plus, locals claim that the temple has been run by a respected and honorable priestess, Miriam. But, you know, this is an interesting New Orleans appropriate theory, right? And while we're talking about spooky stuff here, local residents have claimed that since these deaths occurred, ghostly activity in the area has increased dramatically. Some claim they now see shadows or hear disembodied voices or just have an eerie feeling of being watched while they walk down the street. You know, it seems like the only time Zach and Addie experienced peace was in the aftermath of Katrina. They may have been just cut from that mold that they weren't willing to deal with the typical pressures of life. They seem like the sort that would be ideal candidates to be 
you know, to move off the grid, to to live in a remote area and just enjoy life as best they could there. Zach, uh, when he was quoted by a reporter during the whole Hurricane Katrina stuff, said that during the time the city was in ruin, it was the healthiest he had felt in a long, long time. You know, I, I have no evidence that either one of them were into the outdoors, that they liked hiking or camping or anything like that. But man, these two really seemed suited for some sort of bohemian lifestyle. You know, van living, wilderness living, something where they could just travel around, do their thing, live their life, and not have to worry about paying bills. It's sad that Zach never reached out to anyone for help. He hadn't even called his family. In fact, that was one of the things spray-painted on the walls was asking the police to contact his family. He struggled with his problems alone. Well, except for Addie, but, you know, Addie, sadly, wasn't in much better shape. These were just two lost souls who suffered alone in this world and died in horrific ways. It's just a very, very sad story. And apparently today, I don't have the woman's name, but the uh, voodoo temple was destroyed by a fire. And apparently the priestess there didn't have insurance. And so the whole operation moved. Some lady bought the building and now has turned it into this really crude and tacky little, um, you know, haunted apartment deal where apparently she's made sure to keep as much of the original furniture as she could. Uh, original, All the original bathroom fixtures are there, the original ovens there, original refrigerators there. And so you can go see where Addie's body was found. She's also spruced it up with, you know, appropriate decor like fake blood spilled everywhere. Even though that's not how the apartment looked, you know, you got to get your thrills right. And it has royally ticked off a lot of people. <laughs> um, Zach's family is furious about it. A lot of the locals in New Orleans just find it totally disrespectful. And, and I don't blame them. It's, it's a cheap money grab is all it is. So if you happen to visit New Orleans, I would encourage you not to go to the uh, Zach Bowen and Addie Hall little ghost tour or whatever they call it. Kind of a gruesome tale there. Um, I think it's one that deserves a pretty good palate cleanser, right? So here's what's been submitted. Why are ghosts such bad liars? Why are ghosts such bad liars? It's because you can see right through them. It's just too easy to see right through them. Okay, well, thank you for joining us and thank you for making it to the end of that story it's a dark one it's a tough one and it's a sad one it's a sad one i think these are two young people who probably could have had a much better life if they just had access to the help they needed and took advantage of it so uh but we're not gonna focus on that let's remember what monte python taught us always look on the bright side of life right 
as always, do something good for yourself. Take your dogs to the park today. Or take the day off from work. Stay in bed. Binge Netflix. Something like that. You deserve it. You have my permission, okay? I'm an attorney. Actually, you know that when you graduate from law school, you actually get a doctorate. It, I'm a jurist doctor, okay? So you can call your boss and say, a doctor told you to stay in bed all day today. Whether or not you take advantage of that opportunity is up to you, but I'm just saying it's out there. As always, thank you all so much. We totally appreciate your support, your loyalty, how you sing the praises of our podcast. You make us feel loved and like good people. Please keep sharing the show with everyone you know so we can keep growing, especially since I'm going to be taking a step back from a lot of the social media promoting. I'm hoping y'all do it. I'll be back soon with more goodies. Y'all be good until then. Behave. Take the day off from work. Brad out. Thank you for listening to Killing, Missing, Hidden. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and share. Questions? Email us at info at kmhpodcast.com.